Well, hey there, Laurel. Hey, John. So, do you know what day it is? Um, National Love Your Red Hair Day? Well, I mean, obviously, but not what I was thinking of. Okay, um, today, uh, World Tsunami Awareness Day. Closer, but no. Oh, Guy Fox Day. It's Guy Fox Day. Uh, well, yeah, it is, but, but also no. Huh, okay, well, I give up. What day is it? Come on, it's one year and three days exactly until Election Day 2022. Oh, that day. Aw, now don't be like that, Laurel. Buck up. I mean, there is so much to look forward to. We got a packed U.S. Senate field. We have a competitive and cutthroat race in the 3rd Congressional District. And insults are already being hurled in the governor's race. Uh, you know what? We are going to make it through this year if it kills us. Dang it. This is the WPR... <laughs> This is the WPR Politics Podcast. I'm John K. Wilson. <laughs> and I'm Laurel White. This week, where things stand, one year and three days until Election Day. My broken house behind me and good things ahead. A girl named Kathy wants a little of my time. Six cylinders underneath the hood, crashing and kicking. Ah, listen to the engine whine. I am going to make it through this year if it kills me. Well, that uplifting folk rock anthem is, of course, This Year by The Mountain Goats off their ninth studio album from 2005, The Sunset Tree. And I know that Sean is going to be upset that we played that this week without him because it, it was his favorite album in college. He just, <laughs> he just wore through several copies of that CD. Um, he are- talks about it all the time totally making that up <laughs> <laughs> yes i am i really don't know if he likes the mountain goats or not because he's not here to tell us yeah because he's uh, wrapping up uh the initial work on his other enemy podcast uh mapped out from wpr reports about redistricting he'll be back you know he he's one year and three days closer to being back with us here <laughs> uh but you can subscribe and listen to his other podcast at wpr.org slash mapped out. Did you call it well, an enemy podcast? I feel like I, I feel I like we're not enemies. We're, uh, you know. I mean, it depends. He, he, <laughs> I, I go from day to day. It can be it can be a sister podcast if I'm feeling charitable. <laughs> it can be, you know, an enemy. What whatever. I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to it, folks out there. I'm just saying. This podcast episode checking in on all of the great things to come in the next year in Wisconsin elections is so, so, so much better than WPR reports mapped out. So there you go. Whatever. You go. Do with that what you will. Uh, so it seems like you're you're a little unenthused to uh, 
talk about these races in the year to come, but can I can I coax you into uh, giving folks a little preview about some of the races that are going on? Absolutely. Yeah. I think part of the uh, part of the hesitation, which I think probably I'm going to venture to say a lot of folks might feel is that we f- still feel so mired in the 2020 election. Right. With all these investigations and everything. So it's just it's kind of surreal that the next election is, you know, not upon us, but, you know, it's getting pretty close. I mean, there's no law or anything that says that, you know, one election can't happen while another election is still going on. <laughs> it's good. It's I just mean, I'm very sure there probably is. It's but. very complicated. But yeah, it's coming for us. So we need to we need to set the table. It is time. We've got a year out. A year can go surprisingly quickly. Um, so it, it is time. This is very true. Well... Like we mentioned in the open, we got a few different races that are on our radars, as it were. Which one do you want to start with? Which one do you feel like is the the marquee here? Well, as the state capitol reporter, I will own my bias and say that I want to start with, you know, the state government race. I want to start with the governor's race. All right. Let's do it. Who's running for governor? <laughs> the governor. no (laughs) yeah so governor tony evers announced in june i think it was it was the summer uh that he was going to seek another four-year term so we got the the democratic well you know there there actually isn't here's a fun fact there's no like democratic ticket in wisconsin the governor and lieutenant governor don't run together as a ticket in the state um so there's no locked in democratic ticket but there's a locked in democratic governor running in Wisconsin in 2022, and that's we Tony know the Evers. top of the ticket. Yeah, we know the. And top we'll of the we'll we'll get to uh, what the bottom half of his last ticket, uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, is doing yeah. a little bit later. But he's not going to be rejoining that ticket. It looks like at this point, um, right? This this next time around. Um, so we have we have Governor Tony Evers running again on the Democratic side. And then who's sort of lining up to challenge him on the Republican side? So on the Republican side, we have kind of a long-awaited, long-anticipated candidate. Uh, Former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish is officially in the race. She launched her campaign in September. A lot of folks thought this was a long time coming. She is, of course, former Governor Scott Walker's former Lieutenant Governor That was her first foray into elected office, was serving as elected, um, was serving as lieutenant governor under Walker. And, um, you know, since that team left office, she's been working in a variety of kind of political roles and, uh, you know, staying a part of the scene. So she was definitely primed. Uh, had the connections to to jump in this year as as people thought she would right yeah this is definitely not a surprise uh, what have we heard uh just real quick like in terms of you know what her her platform or her issues are well we got a really good idea when she launched her campaign she released a you know campaign announcement video as people are want to do and she focused on a lot of um hot button issues over the past year or so she started talking about 
the unrest in Kenosha, the destruction in Kenosha, her support for law enforcement. She talked about uh, bringing students back to the classroom and the the importance of in-person learning, uh, some criticism of how that was handled by the Evers administration during the COVID-19 pandemic, her support for voucher schools, kind of a, it really kind of ran the gamut of, of Republican issues in Wisconsin um, and gave us a hint at, at some of the things that, you know, we might expect from her over the next 12 months and three days. Yeah. <laughs> more more months and days at that time when the ad <laughs> came out. But um, And I guess there, there's some more context to unpack in terms of like, you know, some of those issues that could be important and, you know, how the governor has has responded or what he's he's talking about as the race moves forward but real quick can we just go through some of the other possible folks on the republican side as far as i know uh clayfish is the only one who's officially thrown her hat in the ring but there are some other names floating around right yeah so there are other people who have filed republican campaigns oh, well, then for, I'm just wrong. but there, but, cool. but 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 you're not totally wrong in that she's the really the high profile person that has has, right. has filed you know with name recognition and political experience and um the other folks just have aren't on the aren't on the same level entering the race so the other people that um are sort of being watched and talked about as more high-profile candidates that could challenge Clayfish, they have not announced yet. So you're right in that regard. And those folks are people like Kevin Nicholson, who people might remember Kevin Nicholson is a former U.S. Senate candidate for Republicans. He's a businessman. He's a former Marine. Uh, He ran in the primary for U.S. Senate against Leah Vukmir, who went on to lose to Tammy Baldwin um, in the last Senate race there. Uh, Sean Duffy is a potential candidate. Uh, interestingly, the gov, uh, not the governor, the former president, uh, Donald Trump, I just have governor on the brain, you know, um, came out in, in mid-October and actually released kind of a surprising, unexpected statement endorsing Sean Duffy, saying that he wanted Sean Duffy to run for governor of Wisconsin. He called him, quote, unbeatable. So that's kind of gotten that into the political conversation in Wisconsin. Sean Duffy was a congressman um, from a pretty Republican district, uh, first elected in 2010, resigned in 2019, uh, citing a difficult pregnancy that his wife uh, was having at the time, said he needed to spend some more time with family. He's a Fox News contributor. Uh, so definitely a name in Wisconsin politics that people know. Did you mention that he uh, had a starring role in one of the early seasons of MTV's The Real World? Exactly. Yep. That's where he met his wife, um, who's also a Fox News contributor. And so, uh, yeah, somebody that's that has a history in Wisconsin politics and because of the president's endorsement um, could be, you know, is part of this conversation and could be a player in, I mean, he's he's part of our conversation and the conversation, but has he contributed anything to the conversation so far? He hasn't responded to Trump's endorsement, so it's very much TBD. He has about, according to FEC reports, he's got about $2 million in the bank, which is not an insubstantial amount of money to have in the bank if you were going to launch a campaign. So it's, you know... It's not off the table, that's for sure. But right. he, but he hasn't just, come out and said anything about it. 
It's interesting because, like, obviously, one of the the larger stories nationwide is how big of a player is former President Trump going to be in terms of influencing voters in the in the race to come. Um, but, but in this case, he's he's basically preemptively come out and uh, you know picked somebody mm-hmm. without actually hearing from from that person right and the, a person the, the who, old pre-endorsement right and a person who's not in the race and it sends a not a great message to the clayfish campaign obviously because she's the one out there and so for the president to come out and say that he's backing somebody else um, that puts her in, in in a in a difficult position uh, with the many many trump supporters who are in wisconsin who are republicans um how they interpret that will remain to be seen kind of in a long-term way, but she didn't respond to the snub from mm-hmm. President Trump. So, um, but it's definitely a, it's a thing. It's a thing. Because it would be fair to say that she's sort of the the mainstream Republican heir apparent in Wisconsin, I mean, she's like she's in in a lot of ways what you might call an establishment Republican candidate. She's somebody that has a a history in Wisconsin politics, uh, you know, served as the lieutenant governor for eight years and in the Walker administration. People know her. Like I said, she stayed involved in various groups. And so she's she's not somebody that can paint herself as an outsider or, you know, kind of that like rabble rouser. Um, sort of persona that President Trump has definitely embraced in the past um, and has uh, in some of the candidates he's endorsed as well, in addition to just sort of personally. So she is, yeah, she's a different kind of candidate. Um, But I think, you know, her campaign's pushback to that would be that, you know, she she can she connects she can connect with the Republican voters that have supported the president, even if the president has come out and said, you know, uh, Sean Duffy would be great. Right. And this is sort of a a small aside um, that we don't need to spend too much time on because insults in political campaigns are a dime a dozen. But speaking <laughs> of her ability uh and her dedication to the base of the party, mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a spat between her and Kevin Nicholson uh, surrounding uh, the base Republican voters and how best to to motivate them and turn out in the in the fall of twenty twenty two. Yeah, twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin Nicholson, the potential candidate, former U.S. Senate candidate. Um, came out and said that he didn't agree with a comment that Clayfish made on the campaign trail about Republicans potentially participating in ballot harvesting, basically sending people out to collect ballots and return them on behalf of other folks. Clayfish said that this is something that they should consider in 2022. Um, And Nicholson said, he said it was not, I think the phrase was dumb as a bag of hammers. He said he he didn't like the idea of Republicans doing that because ballot harvesting erodes faith in elections, in his opinion, and that's not a tactic that Republicans should be embracing. 
And kind of the pushback from the Clayfish campaign was, well, you know, we need to do whatever we can to win. This is a Republican grassroots effort that would, you know, bolster the GOP candidate and, you know, make us competitive. And Nicholson isn't engaging with that group of people. And so sort of painting him as like, he's not the grassroots person. Kevin Nicholson isn't the grassroots person and Clayfish is. So it's obviously important very important in a partisan primary to tie yourself to the base, the grassroots, kind of the heart of the party, right? And so that's something that that Clayfish is trying to do, despite this Trump dynamic. All right, good, good, solid uh, synopsis of of that little uh, subplot so far. <laughs> but before we tie up the the governor's race, I guess can we? Um, talk about sort of maybe what what tony evers is running on or what you know you sort of mentioned a little bit some of the themes that could come up in the race and then also talk about why this race is potentially important uh as far as how it would affect state government going forward yeah absolutely so before I do that, I'm going to – I did this to you last week, too. I was like, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to answer a different question first. <laughs> I, I spent too much time with politicians. <laughs> the question I'm going to answer first is, are there other Republicans that are considering getting in, sort of like Nicholson? Oh, uh, that I, you know, I for, yeah. we were, we were going to talk about that, and yep. then I forgot all about that. Yeah, and it seems so, like a good time to mention it. By all means, go ahead. Okay. So um, the other folks that we just want to mention are State Representative John Mako and businessman Eric Hovde. They have both said that they're weighing bids that they might get into the race. So those are two more folks that are familiar to the political, the Republican political apparatus in Wisconsin. And, and them getting in would certainly have an effect on how the primary plays out. So just to have that on the table. Wow, you really answered my question super well there. <laughs> Thank you. So in terms of what the governor might run on, um, I think, you know, um, schools. I think that's a thing. <laughs> I think education. <laughs> something, yeah. something is in the back of my mind about that dude yeah, and, and schools. And education, yeah. I think the governor is going to talk about um, what he's been able to accomplish for schools, but also, um, you know, what Republicans have have kept him from doing, what he's proposed. He's tried to call special sessions on increasing education funding. So just really a kind of doubling down on that commitment and that part of his identity, I think, will be will be key. That was successful for him in 2018. You know, schools, healthcare, roads. I think we're going to see. Uh, definitely focus on those issues again. Uh, I think he's going to talk about how the state handled the COVID-19 pandemic. I think they'll talk about vaccine rollout, how that went in the state, um, and, uh, you know, the the support that the governor has had that authority over, um, over those federal funds to send out right, across the state. Say, like yeah. There's there's a lot he's been able to do with with federal money, even though there was, you know, as was to be expected, sort of an impasse about state budgeting mm -hmm. with Republicans in control of the legislature. Evers basically said, OK, I'm going to sign the your budget that I think is too small, and then I'm going to do all this stuff with federal money that I have have control over. 
people like when they get money for things that they like. Yeah, people do like when they get money for things that they like. So <laughs> we're gonna number we're, one rule of politics. <laughs> we're there, put that on a bumper sticker or something. Um, yeah, the governor has had a really uh, great opportunity politically to have all of those federal funds to disperse how he sees fit without needing approval from the Republican legislature. And those are all things that he can point to on the campaign trail and say, this was a priority for me. It was accomplished because I could do it on my own. This is how it's benefiting, you know, the whole state or the community that I'm in right now campaigning. So that's going to be, I think, a big part of the campaign, too. Um, and then in terms of you mentioned a little bit with uh, when we were talking about clayfish, but I feel like maybe the the whole COVID handling thing could be a potential, you know, double edged sword there because there are definitely folks out there who were unhappy with the way that the governor's administration has handled the pandemic. And then also, you know, the whole issue of unrest in in kenosha and in madison around Mm -hmm. the state capitol and such i i think it would be safe to say that if you're a republican running against the governor you could see that as a liability for him yeah i think that you know you're absolutely right that i think law enforcement is going to be uh an issue i think that's going to be one that republicans are going to focus on more i could see like you said, the pandemic being more of a both sides kind of issue, both sides trying to claim the the higher ground or the victory or, you know, um, thinking that they have the most powerful message because there are a lot of folks in Wisconsin who think that the governor handled things well and were pleased with vaccine rollout and some of the um, actions that state government took related to schools and related to businesses and things like that. And then there are obviously a huge number of people as well who are very concerned about the way that schools um, operated during the pandemic. And that's an issue that is an energizing one for a number of people um, in-person schooling. So that's going to be a really interesting debate and I think a big focus. And then the last part of my multi-part question, (laughs) uh, there's a big difference about whether if a Democrat holds control of the governor's office or if it flips back to Republican control, given the rest of the parts of state government. Yes. So if Republicans hold on to control in the state assembly and Senate, and there are All of the state assembly seats are on the ballot in 2022, and half of the Senate seats are on the ballot in 2022, and presumably we are going to have new maps in 2022. Um, So, But if you've listened to any of our enemy podcasts, (laughs) you would know that the the way the current maps are drawn makes it quite difficult for control of the legislature to flip away from Republicans. Right. So if the new maps are similar to the current maps, it's very likely that Republicans will maintain control in the legislature. We don't know, obviously, what the new maps are going to look like. But unless they are pretty different, uh, Republicans are likely going to hold on to their majority. And then if a Republican wins the governor's office, that sets up a, you know, sort of take us back to 2011 situation where we've got the Republican majority, we've got a Republican in the governor's office, and that sets up 
state government to accomplish a lot of things that Republicans want accomplished. And um, I think a, a big notable thing is that they could redraw the maps <laughs> Yeah, that, um, you know, um, that they didn't get to do because Evers was in office. Uh, they wouldn't, you know, if they redraw the maps, the maps obviously wouldn't be in place for the 2022 election. It would be subsequent elections, but it would be have a, a big effect on state government, certainly moving forward um, to have different maps. Um, so that's a big one. And then just a lot of other policies. I mean, um, from from issues like, you know, voucher schools, I mentioned that before, um, Clayfish mentioned supporting that in her um, campaign rollout issues like abortion, um, transgender students in sports, a lot of these Republican proposals that we've seen not go anywhere um, over the past few years under the Evers administration wouldn't have that roadblock that Evers has put up, um, a number of of gun bills probably as well. So um, it would definitely be a different dynamic in the state capitol where you'd see laws being churned out at a much, much higher rate. Um, all right. Well, we've spent a lot of time talking about that governor's race. You want to you wanna move on to something else? Yeah, let's do it. All right. U.S. Senate. How about that? This is a big one. This is a race that's going to be really closely watched on the national level. Wisconsin's used to being in the spotlight nationally. The reason it's going to be closely watched is we are still considered one of those purple states. You know, it's considered one of the few close toss-up U.S. Senate races in 2022. Obviously, Democrats are trying to hold on to that little margin that they have in the Senate right now or increase it. So it's pretty high stakes for Democrats uh, trying to get this seat and Republicans trying to hold on to it. And uh, it's it's already it's a fascinating race because we've got Republican Ron Johnson, who hasn't said if he's going to seek re-election yet and then we have right. like that's the that's the difference between the the evers race and right. and this one at least at the, in this point in time one year and three days before election day we we don't even know if ron johnson is actually the the candidate on that side the if the incumbent is going to stay yeah but we like you were saying we have a whole bunch of democrats lining up on the other side exactly yeah a ton of a ton of Democrats. i don't think i even got to say it. you were just reading my mind that's what i was leading up yeah. to is there are a bunch of democrats <laughs> <laughs> a bunch, a bunch of Democrats. Um, so it's a really interesting race. Um, I guess just for the sake of brevity, do we want to talk about Ron Johnson's situation real quick? Mm -hmm. And then we can dive down the list of all the Democrats. So like we said, Ron Johnson hasn't said if he is running for a third term several years ago when he was running he had said i'm never going to seek a third term i'm going to be out after two he's since sort of come back on that saying you know maybe i'm still the person that that needs to be there um but he also has said i have plenty of time to say whether or not i'm actually going to run mm -hmm. that being said looking at fundraising reports and stuff he's still raising a lot of money yeah he's doing well um and th there's so much we could say about ron johnson in fact a few months ago we did an entire 
podcast about Ron Johnson, about some of the things he said about COVID vaccines and about uh, January 6th insurrection and all sorts of stuff. But very, very polarizing figure in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. It's safe to say. And we're just kind of watching what he's going to do right now. Yeah. He's kind of like keeping the... Uh, generally keeping other folks, keeping the lane clear, yeah. I guess, on that Everybody's, side. Everybody else, there are certainly some Republicans who would jump into the race. Uh, Kevin Nicholson, for example, who's t- who's weighing the governor's race bid, has also said he would be interested in potentially running for U.S. Senate again if Ron Johnson doesn't uh, run again. So there are folks ready and waiting but i think the prevailing winds right now it seems like ron johnson is going to run again there were some comments he made this week that kind of just had that flavor to them um there's a hint of johnson on the prevailing winds right, at the moment. right exactly uh and it's important to note that it's not unusual for him to have not announced at this point during his for his last re-election bid he didn't announce until like six months before election day so him waiting is not that unusual this is kind of how he does things right plus like what isn't it the whole story the first time around was like he, he was sitting on the couch watching TV and somebody was saying, you know what Republicans need in this race is just a rich guy who knows business to jump in this race and win. And he thought to himself, I could be that rich guy. And he jumped in and he won sort of sort of last minute. He, he came out of nowhere, basically. Yeah. So I think that's a, an image that he has definitely projected as somebody who's not like eager to be involved in politics but if he is called to do it if people are clamoring for him to do it if he feels like he's the best person for the job he will do it that's definitely been a brand for him and so this is consistent so flipping over to the other side though there are a whole lot of people who are clamoring for him not to hold that office anymore because they think that they could do a much better job um if their party was in control of that office. Yeah, there's a strong Democratic appetite for this seat. I think people clearly think that Democrats have a chance to flip <laughs> this because there are a lot of Democrats who want to do it. What? I'm just picturing, like, the entire field of candidates all, like, grappling over a giant, you know, like, leather office chair and, like, trying to, like, take a bite out of it. Just, just, I feel like this is, like, a, an old school, like, Laurel podcast. Like, I'm having a vision of... Yeah. 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 It is sort of a... The, the democratic appetite, it's like it's a little zombie-ish, isn't it? Like framing it that way. Um, yeah. People have the appetite. Yeah. Yes, I want that seat. But it, yeah, it's powerful. There are a lot of people who are into it and think they've got a shot. So uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes is the front runner right now. Not going right. to be Remember on that, how in so, the, that in ticket. In the beginning of the show, we said he wasn't going to be on that ticket. Well, this right. is what he's doing. On the non-existent ticket, because we don't have mm-hmm. tickets. But yeah, he's exactly. not going to be there because he's running for this. Uh, the fundraising report that came out earlier this fall uh, had him raising like a million dollars from individual contributions, which was more than any other candidate in the field from individual donors. So he's in a strong position in that regard, 
So he's kind of the considered the front runner right now for the Democrats, but there are a lot of other folks behind him, and we could see that right. switch up. Um, I mean, we we were thinking about doing an episode about uh, just this race a few weeks ago that we ended up scrubbing. So I'm looking at my paper here and sort of had people divided up into into various groups. There were a couple of other people based on that fundraising report who also raised a lot of money, but the big difference is that they've given a lot of their own money mm-hmm. into that um, total of of campaign funds. So while while it's still a strong fundraising picture for them, it's a it's a slightly different picture. Yeah, so state treasurer Sarah Godlewski and Milwaukee Bucks executive executive Alex Lazary both posted roughly million dollar fundraising reports like Barnes for the the quarter that was reported at the end of September. But Lazary loaned his campaign seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, Godlewski loaned or donated a million dollars to her campaign so each of them put substantial amounts of their own money in to get to you know a a similar level uh, that Barnes did but you know the money I've talked to you know political experts on this and the money at this stage in the campaign is obviously really helpful it's sort of an infusion it keeps them um, capable of operating at a certain level, you know, the thought is if you sort of give it this boost at this point, then that'll kind of, the, it'll get the ball of, why do I want to say like a ball of yarn rolling, but then that's <laughs> unraveling. You don't want it to unravel. Yeah. You want it to wrap, no, wrap, get snowball. bigger. Snowball. There yeah. we go. That's what I, I was literally picturing a ball of yarn rolling down a snowy hill. So I had the snowy hill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe the yarn like starts to cake with ice and then eventually just turns into a snowball with a yarn core. Sure. And picks up mass and momentum yeah. as it goes. Maybe their yes. donations and contributions to their own campaigns are sort of the yarn core that you roll down right. the hill and the right. No, that clings to it. I'm just going to give myself donation. 750 grand <laughs> of uh, sticky yarn. Yeah, sticky, roll it down sticky hill. yarn. <laughs> and then anyway, yeah. <laughs> then the, then the other folks that are further down the fundraising list, uh, you've got out of Gamey County Executive Tom Nelson. Uh, just for reference, I know it's it's not all about the fundraising, but this kind of gives you a, a sense of where people are at in the field in terms of like the support that they've been able to garner so far and everything. And just the financial picture is important. So Tom Nelson, he reported about $223,000 in fundraising. So that's the gap that we're talking about there. Then we've got Stephen Olacara, who's an activist. He founded the Millennial Action Project. Wausau physician Jillian Bettino, Milwaukee Alder Shantia Lewis, and State Emergency Management Administrator Daryl Williams are kind of rounding out that Democratic field. Right, which I think is probably fair to say not not many of those folks are household names at this point. Right, right. They've got one year and three days. Well, less than that <laughs> because they've got they just have until the August partisan primary. So oh, that's that's very true. Good catch there. Yeah. Um, and I guess aside from the fundraising picture that we have of this stuff, and not not just you know focus too much on the money, but my sense of the race is that 
we're it's still more wait and see ish than say the governor's race. There's a lot of attention focused on who the Democratic candidate is going to be out of this big field, and then also whether or not Johnson is going to run. Um, but just sort of, it it will become clear in time how this race is going to shape up. Yeah, there's certainly a lot that can happen, and uh, I think wait and see is a a good attitude to take for this race for right now. Well, moving right along, those two are the statewide races coming up uh, next year, but there is one no less interesting, compelling race uh, in western Wisconsin that only covers the third congressional district out there, but still still worth talking about, mostly because it's real competitive. It's like one of the few congressional districts in Wisconsin that that is competitive. It is the most competitive congressional district in Wisconsin right now, All right. for sure. I think we can just say, say it. it. Unequivocally. <laughs> yeah. So this is a really, this is a big race. The third congressional district... will change under the new maps. We don't know what it's going to look like, how much it's going to change. We don't know. Uh, But it's likely just because of the kind of the, the geography of the area, the history of the area, unless there's a big, big shakeup, this is just a really narrowly politically divided part of Wisconsin. So this is a place where a Democrat has held the seat, Ron Kind, for more than 25 years, but Republicans think that they've got a shot to flip it, to come in and take control of this congressional district. And they really want to do that. It's sort of like the Democratic appetite for the U.S. Senate seat. You've got the Republican mm-hmm. appetite for this congressional seat. I feel like a, a congressman's chair just like is slightly smaller than what I imagine a senator's chair is like. <laughs> I, I really have no idea. But in this case, like in, in the Senate race, there's a whole bunch of Democrats gnawing at a giant wingback chair. At Whereas here we mostly have Derek Van Orden, like getting his arms around this, <laughs> this like smaller, nice ornate, but slightly smaller office chair, just sinking his teeth into it. I think that's an interesting, um, that's a weird image. But it's a <laughs> no, I don't see how <laughs> it's an interesting comparison because there is, I think, the same appetite and excitement with the opposing party for potentially flipping the seat. But in the case of the third congressional district, there is kind of one candidate that the party seems to have unified behind, which hasn't happened, obviously, for Democrats in the U.S. Senate race yet. Um, Van Orden has announced his candidacy quite a while ago. He's run for the seat before, and there aren't a bunch of other Republicans coming out and saying, we also want to run for this. So it's just a very different situation um, and puts him in a, in a different position going into the partisan primary, obviously. He's somebody that we said, Republicans uh, know. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I was so confused by the, so into the chair analogy. Yeah. Have we said who Derek Van Orden is? We so we know we sort of like you just you introduced him via the chair, the chair, the chair gnawing, which is, you know, uh, a way to do it. He is a, a person that folks in that part of the state 
know pretty well at this point. He ran against Ron Kind in 2020 and came really close to beating him in 2020. Kind got reelected by just about 10,000 votes in that election. So very tight. Van Orden had the endorsement of uh, former President Trump. So we have that element um, at play in this race as well. Um, sort of the, the role of the former president and how that's going to play out moving forward. Van Orden is a Trump guy. He's a Trump candidate. Um, he's painted himself as an outsider kind of in that familiar way. He's a retired U.S. Navy SEAL. So he's a, he's a, that um, – that's yeah, that's how he's characterized himself as as a candidate. And that's been pretty successful for him. Not successful enough, but pretty darn successful. Right. And I guess one other uh notable thing to bring up is that he was at or near the US Capitol on January 6th, mm-hmm. but has disputed whether or not he went into restricted space. But that's an issue that um, that Democrats have, have brought up. Yes, that's definitely going to be part of the campaign. So he acknowledges that he was in Washington on that day, but he's denied reports that he entered, like you said, any sort of restricted area. And Democrats have really seized on that and, and, and painted him as somebody that was involved in the insurrection on January 6th. And so we're going to see absolutely back and forth about that over the next several months so on the other side uh first what did ron kind say in terms of why he is not looking to hold on to this seat anymore he just said he was ready to slow down he said it had been a lot you know more than he was first elected in 1997 so he's been around in congress for a long time and he said he was just ready f- to get kind of off of the hamster wheel uh, he didn't call it a hamster wheel but <laughs> he said he was just kind of ready to be done he talked about the toxicity of of politics these days and sort of the brand that he's tried to bring into politics which is a middle of the road moderate kind of guy and he said there isn't a lot of space for me and that type of politician anymore in today's politics and so it's time for me to go try out something else. Well, then who has said, you know what, I'm I'm ready for this job to replace you, Mr. Kind? Uh, one of his former staffers, actually, somebody that's familiar to us in state government, but fun fact that he used to work for Ron Kind, uh, State Senator Brad Paff has said that he is going to seek Uh, election for the third congressional district in the Democratic primary. And he actually has the endorsement of kind, which is a pretty big deal at this point. Uh, Brad Paff is somebody we've talked about on the podcast in a number of ways, Uh, probably the most because he was the state agriculture secretary that was fired by the state Senate. And that was a pretty big deal because the state Senate doesn't fire members of the governor's cabinet very often, but they had a disagreement with PATH over uh, the the way that he had um, kind of pushed back on some Republican decisions in the legislature, publicly made some comments. They didn't like the way that they didn't like the way that that dynamic was playing out um, between him and them on ag issues. And so they did not, they voted to not confirm him, which uh, vacated him from from the job how's that for a euphemism he was vacated (laughs) he was vacated 
Um, but then he ran for, for state Senate and has been serving in the state Senate for a bit now and uh, wants, to, wants to move on up. And then aside from PATH, there's there's one other Democrat who's jumped into the race so far, right? Yep. Uh, Rebecca Cook, who is a businesswoman and uh, has been involved in, in some political campaigns uh, and has started a nonprofit for uh, female entrepreneurs, uh, got into the race as well. So she's kind of, she's thrown her hat into the ring, but I think it's, it's safe to say she has a a more uphill battle um, because she didn't get that endorsement from kind. And that's a pretty big deal for somebody that has just has that sort of stature in the district and that kind of history um, sure. in for Democrats uh, to, for him to say, this is who I want my kind of heir apparent to be um, could carry a lot of weight. Cool. Well, I feel like we have thoroughly laid out everything people need to keep an eye on for the next one year and three days until something else comes up, uh, which it inevitably will, (laughs) and then you need to pay attention to that. Now it's time to go uh, make sure that I'm prepared in case a tsunami happens to make its way all the way inland to Wisconsin. <laughs> that would be um, quite a, you know, an event. Search for higher ground. Make sure I have my emergency supplies and stuff because it is November 5th. World <laughs> Tsunami Awareness Day. It is. It is. And find a, find a redhead and, you know, contribute to their, like... Sense of self-worth? Yeah. They're celebrating themselves today. So, you know, empower your neighborhood redhead mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have if you have one in your social neighborhood. Well, Laurel White is not a redhead, but she is WPR's capital reporter. It's true. And John K. Wilson is our resident politics nerd. And then Kathy showed up and we hung out, trading swigs from the have an appetite for politics news you hungry for your share of that proverbial leather office chair well we can feed you something tasty almost every single week when you subscribe to get new episodes of the wpr politics podcast you can find it on apple google stitcher spotify and many other podcast apps while you're there leave a rating or review of the show to help other people find their meal and tide yourself over while well, you can snack on our past episodes anytime you like at wpr.org slash politics podcast. If 